You are listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I will be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags, to the nation's iconic landscapes, and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 17. I hope this episode finds everyone well and healthy amidst uh, these crazy times that we're experiencing right now, these unprecedented times. It's definitely been a pretty wild start to the new decade of 2020, but I hope everyone is doing well. The Access Fund and other local climbing organizations around the country, some previous guests that I've had on the show, are communicating their message loud and clear about uh, not traveling to go climb, recreating locally, and adhering to your county's uh, restrictions and complying to stay-at-home orders and whatnot. So I hope everyone is adhering to those as uh, this, this shall pass. This shall pass soon, I hope, and we can get back to our regularly scheduled program. This is probably the longest I've gone in probably close to 10 years into into a spring season without being able to get out and climb with my friends. But uh, I'm just trying to keep some perspective here and be grateful for the health I have, my friends and family around me. So I hope everyone uh, that resonates with everyone else and we can get back out there soon enough. I won't harp on this too much as we get bombarded with this news day in and day out. So that's pretty much it. Be, be uh, healthy, be well, and be safe and responsible. And we'll get back out there soon. All right, on to episode 18, a conversation with the one and only Tommy Caldwell. This one was super fun. We didn't talk about his climbing accomplishments, his athletic accomplishments all that much because we're all very familiar with that. We stayed pretty focused on what he's doing in the advocacy world. And we kind of started off the conversation by how he fell into working with the Access Fund on accident in a way. Him and his dad were developing a crag in, uh, in Colorado. And uh, one thing led to the next, so he got involved uh, more with the Access Fund um, from there, and he ended up being a board member at some at one point for a little while, and things have just blossomed from there with his advocacy efforts and accomplishments. And I, in my opinion, I think he's just getting started. Uh, from the Access Fund to his work with Patagonia, being an ambassador, that has now evolved into being more of an activist for the company, and he goes way into that. So we talk about all the other things that he advocates for, because he's not just a climbing advocate, but he advocates for all things about the environment and wild places, his work in D.C., and it's it's really impressive as someone who doesn't let anything seem to stand in his way. He's taking out another huge challenge advocating for our, our environment. So without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with Tommy Caldwell. Okay, great. Right on. Um, well, cool. Yeah. You, uh, how was Fitz's birthday on Wednesday? Oh, it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I mean, this time has been lovely for that reason. Like, right. I feel like we're just like connecting 
as a family mm-hmm. and especially with the kids right. in a bit more like intense way than we do normally in life. And I've been really enjoying that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My boss just had his kid back in January and he only got a few weeks off to like, you know, be at home with the kid and come back to work. So we were talking about like how it is nice to now being home all the time. It's actually pretty good timing for that. Yeah, totally. I hope that we can take little lessons from this hard time and, you know, learn from them. I'm sure we will. Oh, yeah, yeah. Many lessons to be learned for sure. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, how, how, how else is everything going with everything that's going on? Keeping your uh, sanity? Pretty, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been, yeah, as long as I like ignore the, the fact that the world is <laughs> falling apart around <laughs> us, I'm, I'm, you know, we live in a lovely place. And, right. Um, you know, we're like up in the mountains. We actually live up on a mountain in a really quiet neighborhood. So nice. getting outside is no big deal. And I've been able to, yeah, it, I mean, I've, I've, I think I've done a, an event a week on average for the past five years and suddenly I don't have to do that. So um, in some ways, my stress level is like lower than it's been <laughs> in a long time. Really. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah, I, I actually was up in your neck of the woods uh, back in Feb- February, I think, up at the Horse's Head, Craig. You spent horses. The, I don't even know what crag that is. Yeah, see, it's up Big Thompson Canyon, and oh, okay. uh, I forget what you turn off somewhere and you head up there. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It had beautiful views of the diamond, and yeah, it's not quite in, into Estes yet, but you turn off right before there. The horses head. Yeah, it's on uh, Palisade Mountain. Wow, man, all these obscure little crags around here I don't <laughs> even know about. Yeah, that's, amazing. I, that's funny. I figured you probably would have heard of it, but yeah, it's on Mountain Project, and yeah, got some pretty good stuff up there. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, so we had a chance to meet back in, was that March? And when you were down in Gunnison for the uh, Blister Series presentation. Right. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're doing a couple of presentations there. And yeah, I've been to a few of those Blister Series uh, speaker series now. And yeah, that room was packed when you when you came and spoke. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. People were stoked. That was a fun one. It made me want to do some more university events for sure yeah uh, have you spent any other time in the gunnison valley or in the black canyon or anything i've climbed a few routes in the black canyon with my buddy josh wharton of, mm-hmm. you know I, th- I think i've only been there two days and we climbed like <laughs> one of the hardest routes called black sheep because it was like oh. his you know a route that he put up right uh, or, or that he established and then i belayed my I belayed Josh on the hallucinogen wall. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like just kind of jugged behind him and belayed him on that. And then we did some other like 12 plus route. <laughs> and so weirdly, everybody like talks about how the rock is so bad there, but we climbed like the sheerest, steepest faces, <laughs> which on those, the rock is actually quite nice. Right. Um, so I think I got a, I got a, I got a bit of a false impression of like the spirit of the Black Canyon. Yeah, it definitely, definitely has this uh, stigma that comes with it. Loose rock, run out, uh, you know, po- poison ivy, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it does have all those things, but in between that, there is some really high quality roots and just a spectacular location to climb in. Yeah, yeah, super cool spot. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, did you have any any major projects that you were working on advocacy wise uh, before things kind of went sideways? Uh, I mean, I was I was basically gearing up to spend the lead up to the election. And this will likely still happen. Um, doing events to, uh, yeah, just like doing tons of events to um, talk about to get people out to vote, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I was doing a lot of those through Protect Our Winners. Um, they had done this giant in-depth study and you know targeted these specific places, and then combining that with Patagonia's strategy. And I was like working on writing an op-ed that was basically talking about why I was giving up my October, which is, you know, like the Super Bowl of climate yep, time, totally. you know, yeah. to focus on elections <laughs> this year. Cause I just think it's, it's real important. Like, I was, you know, I was going all in on that. Um, so yeah. Right on. Um, that was the gist of it. You said that you wanted to do more university events where universities on like in that show up in that study that Pow did. Uh, yeah, a lot of universities were in that study. The one at Western, Western is like a key, a key um, region for Colorado, Colorado's third district, um, Western State University is in that district. Mm-hmm. Actually, they call it something different now. It's not Western State anymore. It's like, yeah, it's so I just finished my master's there back in August. And okay, it, it changed names while I was there. And so yeah, like back in the day, it was Western State College, then it was Western State Colorado University. Now it's just Western Colorado University. Oh, okay. <laughs> but not all confusing. Okay. It's very confusing. So Western, Western Colorado yeah. University. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I was going to go to other universities. It was going to be a, you know, a mishmash of all sorts of things. Like universities were were kind of key, like especially for POW. Oh, and then also I was kind of combining it with the Alpine Clubs Get Out the Vote campaign okay. uh, for climbing gyms. Oh, right on. Um, so we were we were um, sort of I was I was getting my mind around combining all those different strategies and seeing the places that I could go and make the absolute most impact. Mm-hmm for the elections. Right, right. Very cool. Right on. Well, let's put a pin in that for a second. We'll circle back around to like your kind of new uh, role of Patagonia. Let's, let's dial it back and kind of start back from the beginning, I guess, uh, with the Access Fund. Um, I first learned about the Access Fund probably like eight years ago, and I could not believe that there was an organization that focused on stewardship, policy, all those things with climbing center sitting at the center of it. And I feel like I saw your name associated with them, you know, eight years ago. Has it, has it been that long? Does my memory serve me correctly there? Oh yeah. Uh, it's been way longer. Way than longer. That, yeah. Um, I was on the board of the access fund oh, okay. from probably, let's see here. When did I, when did I, when did I probably 2002, to 2008 or probably 2003 to 2009 okay um so and i was kind of too young to be on the board honestly (laughs) (laughs) somewhat of a a worthless board member they wanted like (laughs) the voice of youth because everybody else on there were um you know lawyers and industry business people and stuff and i just would go to the meetings and you know try and do my best but I, i just didn't feel like i could and and back then it was way more focused on operations. Like the board was really a board that was trying to direct and did a lot of the work. But now now the board is way more like a fundraising board, and they kind of do the high level stuff. But all the operational stuff is handled by, handled by the staff now, and the staff is really by extraordinary. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I've gotten to know just. I feel like just about all of them over my time. Yeah, working with them. Um, was that where your advocacy efforts kind of began? Was on the board. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say all my advocacy definitely started on the board of the access fund and I joined it kind of because I felt a slightly indebted to them because I had 
made a mistake when I was younger, kind of. I, I was developing sure. a climbing area on the western slope of Colorado that's called the Fortress of Solitude. And it was, yep. you know, I, me and my father put up the first roots there. And we, uh, you know, I was on national forest land and we bolted all these roots and there was just this terrible approach to get to the climb, like this, this scree, <laughs> um, loose scree hillside. And we we're just eroding it like crazy. And, um, and so, uh, my dad and my buddy, Nick Sagar, um, and a few other people went up there one day and we like pioneered a trail and we, you know, we like cut some bushes and we had like a rake and a shovel out there and we like made a bit of a trail to get up there because we, you know, our, our thinking was like, well, we don't want to erode this hillside anymore. Right. But, you know, but then some national forest people saw the trail eventually and they came up to the crag and we had like stashed some uh, of our ropes up there because nobody was going up there. We're like, we can just leave our stuff in the stash. Mm -hmm. And they had, you know, taken our equipment. And um, and so we eventually found out that the Forest Service was the one that had like confiscated our stuff. At first, we thought it was just some locals that had stolen mm -hmm. it. And we called them and they're like, oh, yeah, you're kind of in trouble for that trail. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I'm like you know, I was like 17, 16 years old at the time. And yeah. I'm like, what do I do? So I, so I called the access fund and I, and I asked them what to do about it. And they actually called the forest service and, um, and sorted a lot of it out. And it was like a big, a big learning experience for me. Nice. And so that, that was probably my, my introduction into the access fund. And then, you know, I just started supporting them. Like I, you know, I signed up to be a member and, I think I was probably a member before that because it's just always been kind of on the radar, especially for Colorado climbers right. to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I, and and then when it became, you know, when I had the opportunity to join the board, I did, and I learned a lot. Right, I learned a lot. I don't know if I was a very useful board member at the time, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did learn a lot. It was good for me. Yeah, great learning experience. And you've only grown from there. I mean, I was going to ask you if there was a time where you kind of became more acutely aware of the importance of advocating for the sport. But I guess, yeah, the Fortress of Solitude experience was the seed of it had been planted. Yeah, it just showed me that working with the land managers is important um, as opposed to just kind of being a rebellious climber and doing what you want. Like, I think I, I think for a long time, I thought that we had this right to climb. Like it was actually a right. And I went from feeling like it was a right to feeling more like it was a privilege. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, being on the board and, and the access fund really taught me that we take, 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 there is a moment or a time where it's, it's gotta be give, 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 gotta be some give and take there. Yeah. And I feel and I feel like the younger, younger climbers are inevitably going to be more thinking about just like sending and having good adventures and being out there. But as you get older and you have more resources, it's kind of like your time to give. And, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like, it, I, you know, as I've, as I've aged, that's, I felt like that's my responsibility. Right, right. Uh, has there been like specific campaigns with the Access Fund that you've been assigned to over the years? Or they've like reached out like, hey, Tommy, we need you to jump on this campaign with us and express your your voice here has there been specific things like that um campaigns i mean there's a there's a bunch of big issues um while i was on the board that i don't know if those were campaigns that i was assigned to but you know i'd be on special committees mm -hmm. and i would you know I'd, I'd weigh in with my input uh one was um was the uh cave rock issue that was a big one cave rock on south lake tahoe okay. um and 
it was that was a really interesting one because it was kind of us against the tribe right like dan osman had gone in there and developed this cave and and there's all these you know it's a pretty famous sport climbing area back then and he had sort of like almost like paved the base because it was really dirty i hadn't really paved but he had taken rocks and kind of like laid them down and really kind of altered the landscape in that mm-hmm. cave and it, i think he didn't know but it was a you know it was a native american um, oh. sacred site and so then so the tribes came out and they said we need to prohibit rock climbing here and so at that point it was it was the kind of the tribes against the climbers and i think i learned through that experience that we need to be willing to give up some of our climbing for 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 the greater good like i actually feel like we were kind of on the wrong side of that issue oh, at the time yeah. and nowadays i feel like with issues like bears ears we're working together with the tribes and that's that's very exciting to me like we are kind of kindred spirits with just all people that love the outdoors we we you know we learn to we learn we fall in love with them and we therefore want to protect them and so we need to all band together and we don't want to we don't need to fight against each other um so yeah that 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 um cave rock issue was one thing that i was involved in early mm-hmm. on um i've also been involved in bears ears i mean nowadays i'm just pinged to be a fundraiser like i can effectively raise money um pretty well mm-hmm. and i've i've you know i've been the keynote speaker at one of the dinners and you know i've been involved in a lot of social media campaigns i'm also um, neighbors with eric murdoch the policy director and so uh, you know he's like my policy wonk you know I'm, I'm getting like downloaded with all the crazy stuff going on in dc all the time by eric and so i think i'm i'm almost I'm, I'm involved all the time with something going on yeah that's awesome um yeah i love what you said about you know uh coming together with the tribes and other user groups i mean we're all on the same team like essentially right we all want the same thing protection of our environment of our natural resources so why not? Yeah, put things aside. I and mean, we've talked about this in other episodes about like stepping outside of our silos and and just yeah, the collaboration is very very important. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned Eric Murdoch. Yeah, I had him on two episodes ago, and yeah, what a download of information. That's been a one of my favorite episodes for sure. So I, I think that's a good segue into your experience with the Climb the Hill event with the collaboration between the Access Fund and the American Alpine Club. Um, I also talked about this when I had Shelma John on, uh, geez, that was like six episodes ago, I think. Um, we talked about the structure a little bit and what her experience has been like, but just in case if folks missed that episode, could you run us through what that event is like and what that structure looks like? Yeah. So like you said, the Climb the Hill event was conceived kind of jointly by the Access Fund and the Alpine Club. And there's a lot of I guess sort of lobbying groups that do this these days. Um, not too many sporting specific lobbying groups. There's a few, but anyways, the idea is that you get a whole bunch of industry people together and you, you kind of like storm Capitol Hill. You, you set up meetings all over the place. I think, I think the first one, most of them are two day events and, and people like Eric Murdoch who, who kind of know how, the inner workings of DC work, they set up meetings and they connect, you know, the right people with the right lawmakers, senators, Congress people, people in the national forest service. And, you know, I think the, the, the first two years of climb the hill, there's like 50 or 60 
climbing industry people that showed mm -hmm. up and did like 50 or 60 meetings. And we just try and push through our agendas. Um, we talk, and every year the agendas are, are kind of slightly different. I mean, you know, there's been, there's been common threads, things like the land and water conservation fund. Um, you know, I think we've, I've talked about that every year that I've done. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, you know, there's all these, you know, we, we get, we all get downloaded from people like Aaron Murdoch on the things that are important to climbers right mm -hmm. now. And we go to those offices and we talk about those things and we just kind of, you like raise our presence. I think I, I learned that actually showing up and doing the work in DC does have a big impact. Right. I think, you know, these, these offices of the lawmakers are kind of taking these almost like live Yelp reviews all, all day long, every day. And the more people that show up and talk about the, this stuff, the more it becomes in the front of their minds and it pushes, puts pressure on them to vote in certain ways. And I think yeah. I, the first year I went to climb the hill, I, I was like, I, I just went almost out of curiosity. I, you know, I wanted to see if I could, if I could make a difference, um, but I didn't really believe in, in what we were doing per se. I didn't believe that this was, this was the way to make a difference, but I learned that I was wrong. Like it is, it is the way to make a difference. This is kind of how the cake is, the cake is made in DC. And so if, you know, it's, it's sort of the most efficient way to affect not only climber access, but this last year I was, I was, I was really focused on, on climate change advocacy as well, um, because that is, part of what we are advocating for is climate. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, climate change and climbing is definitely becoming very more synonymous this, these days. Uh, what was the first year that you did go? Like the actual year? Yeah. Um, true, man. I mean, I think, I think we've done the event. Do you know how many years? Four I years think four, now? Yeah. I believe it was, this is it was the fourth year. Yeah. And I've, and I don't, I don't believe it. the first year was, was much more minor. So yeah. I've been the last three years. Okay. So you've just been there under our current administration. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was just curious yes. if you had been like before that, uh, you know, with climate hill or not, if there had been some kind of change of approach between administrations, but since you've only been here with the current administration, maybe you, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. I've only been under the current administration, okay. which, which has been kind of interesting because there, you know, obviously the politics in DC is pretty, is pretty partisan these mm -hmm. days. And so when we meet with Republicans and we're, you know, a bunch of climbers, they just immediately peg us as like almost being the enemy. But that is, that, I, I've been surprised in that that has lessened over time, especially with climate change stuff. Like at first we come in there and we talk about climate change stuff. And if you're meeting with Republicans, they'd basically kind of be trying to get the meeting over with as quickly as possible. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, but now when you go, I think, I think they really feel like they have to, they have to find a stance and a voice. And so it's the, the meetings have felt much more productive and okay. probably that also has, has something to do with the fact that we've gone, I guess, four years in a row now. And so they know us yeah. and they kind of look forward to us and us, us coming. And, you know, we, we talk about the politics, but we also tell stories of climbing and we don't sound like normal lobbyists. And so it's kind of fun for them to hang out with us. Um, this last year, I actually got invited to a dinner with uh, Senator Lee, Mike Lee from Utah, who's like, wow. yeah, um, yeah, like the, the main guy that, that is against the, you know, that wants to 
shrink bears ears you know he's like right. if we could give we could point one senator to this kind of like the enemy of our causes <laughs> this is the guy right and um I, I got to have dinner with him and but and he had like he had seen free solo and so we talked about free solo and we had like this really engaging conversation and um you know i was with a, i was just with a at a dinner with like 10 lobbyists and they're all trying to get their two words in about you know like pharmaceutical companies and stuff but he just wanted to talk about climbing <laughs> and free solo <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and um so um yeah i i mean i think i've realized through experiences like that that we show up and we sound differently and and it's kind of fun and you know a lot of dc is actually not necessarily run by the lawmakers it's run by their staffers mm-hmm. and um, because of cl- the climbing gym culture is so big everywhere most of those staffers are climbers nowadays and That's so awesome. um it gives us a pretty it gives us a pretty big um uh, voice. Yeah, that's amazing. Which is cool. Has Mike Lee seen the Dawn Wall? Mike Lee had not seen the Dawn Wall. <laughs> well, hopefully he went home and watched it after that after that dinner. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So you've met with people like Mike Lee. Yeah, I know your buddies um, with uh, Senator Bennett from Colorado. Are you meeting with more of your allies or are you trying to reach more across the aisle when you're in D.C.? I mean, I'm sure there's benefits to both, but is there is one tilted is it tilted one way or the other i think it's probably pretty pretty 50 50 um and yeah there's benefits to both like every time we go i'm you know i hang out a little bit with senator bennett i'm a huge like bennett fan um and so we just like kind of show up and we're like how can we amplify your voice um, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And then it's just kind of like this big love fest and that feels <laughs> nice. It's nice to have those kind of meetings. Right. And then we go and we meet with Gardner yep. and, uh, and it's like, he just says, yeah, you know, he, 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 weirdly meetings with, with Gardner are, are kind of the same. He's like, oh, we're all on the same page. And you're like, wait a second, are, are you're we? like voting completely differently. Yeah. Like, I don't understand this. And then, but he just like, doesn't like to have confrontation in person <laughs> so he just like acts like everything's cool yeah. and you're like wait a second then why did you vote this way and why did you vote this right. way um and so those meetings are like kind of frustrating in this weird way mm-hmm. um and then there and then there's some meetings like with tipton for instance that can even be slightly hostile at times but uh, but you do you do create movement i mean sometimes the the, the slightly hostile ones can feel like the most productive wow. um so yeah, it, it's kind of all over the board. Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, are you planning on going back this year? As long as we can still travel. Oh uh, yeah, I mean I'll go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean I'll go. I'll go as as many times to climb the hill as I as I am invited. So yeah, I think I, I think it's like I said. I think I mean as much as I kind of hate politics, like I never saw myself getting involved in anything political. Right. Like I I don't like wearing a suit. I don't like. Um, <laughs> you know, the way that politics seems like this, you know, big game, it seems kind of slimy in some ways. Right. I don't like the trash talking, but I also realize that it is, it is the most effective way, the quickest way to make change. Right. Definitely. Uh, well, you're not the only athlete that goes out there. I mean, you know, Alex, Sasha, uh, Libby, Chris, I mean, I mean, Whenever I've thought about climbing advocates, I mean, your name always 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 jumps to the top of the list, but you're not the only one. I mean, are, are as an athlete, do you 
do each one of you have a particular area of interest or are you just like getting all that information downloaded from Eric and others at the beginning of the event? I know like, you know, climbing in national parks well, you know, the LWCF really well. I mean, you see the, the works of the LWCF right there in Estes Park. Uh, Eric mentioned that in his episode. I think he said there's like yeah. a sport crag, like right in town that's, that has reaped the benefits of that program. So when you're there, are you, are you talking to your strengths? Are each one of you talking to your strengths? Um, I mean, I didn't have any strengths at first, mm-hmm. really. I just showed up as kind of like a, you know, it was almost like celeb- celebrity advocacy. It's just like if you, like the first year I went, I showed up because they're like, well, if you come, Senator Bennett is a fan of yours and we're going to get a meeting with him in person. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's how it worked. But now I do know how to talk about the, this stuff. And so, yeah, we get, we get put in special um, groups of people that will that we'll be able to talk about our strengths. Like I'm doing a lot of climate change stuff. So I'm kind of put in the climate change group and we focus more on that. Um, But there is also a lot of like, you know, like Sasha is, is super impactful there because a lot of, especially the female lawmakers are like fans of hers and they really want to hang out and talk with her. Um, And so she kind of gets hooked up with those people. And then everybody knows Alex, of course. (laughs) um, Alex also is really into climate change stuff. So we end up um, hanging out together, but um, yeah. And when Alex shows up, we, you know, we're all of a sudden we're in, we're in press conferences with people like Chuck Schumer. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, big time. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> good. Yeah. good. Right on. Awesome. All right. We can, we can switch gears a little bit uh, into just your association with Patagonia and POW and just your broader activism. Uh, you know, you're not just a climbing advocate. You've, like you said, you're really well versed in climate change and some other things as well. So let's jump into that. Uh, you've been with Patagonia for how many years now? About 12, 12 years, I think okay. I've been, yeah, I've been an ambassador for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you're, I mean, that's something to be incredibly proud of, to be associated with a company that values wild places so highly. I mean, with their self-imposed earth tax, all the films that they do, action works, the Patagonia provisions with the food. I mean, the list goes on and on. And every day I seem to be inspired by something else this company is doing. And my fiance and I are just like are blown away day after day. And, and you've been, a, a, you know, climbing ambassador for them for a while, but I know that you've kind of transitioned your role into a little, a little bit into this global sports activist. Um, when did you take on that role, and what was that evolution moving into that? Um, well, first of all, I'll, yeah, I'll talk to Patagonia. Patagonia has been really an interesting relationship because more than anybody in the industry, they feel they have this like this feeling of, of greater good. Like, it's funny, like the marketing seems like they're talking about, um, you know, doing all these, all these great projects for climate change and wildlife and, you know, everything they do. Um, but a lot of people think that's marketing, but when you are part of the company, you're like, no, this isn't marketing. This is like, this is the culture of the company. Everybody that works here is, is involved in this every day. And so being a part of the country makes me want to like, spread the gospel even more mm-hmm. um in a way it, it, it's like if if everybody feels so purposeful in that company that it feels slightly cultish sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I would say in a good way right. like i admire yvonne i admire rose the the ceo mm-hmm. i admire the the people in that company tremendously yep. they're doing such good work yep. and um and 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 somehow it just it seems to work it's like the zen thing like the more good they do the more successful they become which allows them to do even more good and it's pretty exciting to be part of that yep um 
for, as a climber, as an athlete ambassador, I think for the most part, climbers have done a mediocre job of thinking about anything but climbing. Um, you know, especially like professional climbers. Um, so a few years ago, Patagonia changed their mission state or they're thinking about changing their mission statement um, to we're in business to change our, or to save our home planet. And so that was, that was a big shift internally in the company. Like at first, you know, not all of a sudden, everybody at the company thinks about that all the time. Like, you know, planet first, planet first, you know, what are we going to do for the environment? Um, how are we going to make things more sustainable? And so part of that was trying to make the, the ambassadors um, more like that as well. So they started this, um, this program where they were going to take a, and it actually started in the sur- in the surfing side where they're going to take an ambassador from each sporting category. And we're only halfway there right now mm-hmm. and have them focus um, on sports activism. And since I was the climber that was already the most involved in this largely because of the access fund, honestly, largely because of things like climb the hill had gotten me involved in politics and letter writing campaigns and um, all that. I became the climbing sports activist, which has been a great education for me. And really this has taken over a huge part of my life. Um, Mm-hmm. you know when they first proposed this idea to me i was like what does this mean like am i still supposed to go out and you know climb hard routes and they're like oh yeah no this is just like an additional <laughs> layer <laughs> to what you do um um and i thought it would be like 20 percent, you know like 80 percent of what i do would still just be climbing and being an ambassador the way i have in, yep. the, in the past which is you know writing articles and doing product testing and just going out you know making films all the things that i that i've done as an ambassador um, this would be like 20% more, but I would say it's been, you know, closer to 50 because I'm 50% because I'm constantly being doing events. Like I did a cool event, uh, last month, uh, for the American apparel and footwear industry where there's like CEOs from, um, Nike and, you know, all the major footwear and, and apparel brands. And they all got together and there's a whole day focused on sustainability. And I was the keynote speaker for that. Wow, so very cool. all of a sudden I'm in this room <laughs> trying to inspire the industry leaders. I mean, these are the people that really they make the decisions on where this industry is headed and trying to inspire them to be more environmental. And that's been um, challenging and um, and exciting and really cool. That is really cool. That, I think you mentioned that at when you were at Western because you went that like right after you left Gunnison or shortly after. Yeah, I went straight to DC um, like a couple days after I le- left Gunnison. Yeah, That's right. Very cool. Very cool. Um, how does this new position, this uh, global sports activist? Well, let me back up just a little bit actually. Um, yeah, I got on the Patagonia website and I have seen like the select group of, I guess, yeah, the global sports activists, you said they're still working through that. But there's like, I think eight of, eight of you or something like that now, like Claire Gallagher's on there, someone who really inspires me. Uh, yeah. I know she's a good friend of yours and a number of surfers. And um, yeah, it's really cool. So they're going to start working through like all the other ambassadors. I mean, I think that's the idea. Who knows what it's going to look like with the uh, current world, the way it mm-hmm. is <laughs> with uh, with the global pandemic. I think there's a freeze on hiring. Right. Um, and, and they do like, you know, when they, they kind of restructure things when they do that, I became an actual employee as, you yeah. know, as opposed to an ambassador, which is structured a little bit differently. But, right. you know, that is the hope. That is the idea. Um, yeah, Claire is also really inspires me. She's probably the most like, 
uh, go-getter environmentalist. Yeah, she crushes and yeah. she's so bad, like crazy passionate. Yeah. Um, and actually one of my, one of, like when I first started the position, Claire, Claire was an activist before I was a global sports activist before I was. So a lot of what I've done has been learning from her. But when I first signed up, I decided to kick it off with this trip to, to uh, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, um, because that's been a, a big fight to try and keep, um, oil drilling from happening in that place and i had been on a trip to an adjacent national park called the gates of the arctic national park which was certainly the most Mm -hmm. impactful wildlife experience of my life so as i started to learn about the fight for anwar i was like we should just go up there and meet meet the people that live and rely on this place and you know learn how to talk about it like if we really want to advocate for this thing we should actually go there and learn as much as we can about it so um i i came up with the idea to this do this trip and then and then i invited claire and she was it was funny i was at a time when she was training for the western states 100 and i called her and she knew that this trip would interfere with her training but she was like i don't care i'm and this was like the biggest race of her year for sure yeah maybe in some ways her life and she's like I want to go on this trip so badly because I want to make a difference Amazing. <laughs> that forget, forget Western States. I don't even care. Amazing. <laughs> and so she, she immediately said yes. And then we invited um, Luke Nelson. Um, who's a good friend of Claire is also an ultra runner. It was, it was a trip that was more about just like covering vast distances than it was about actually like climbing. Right. We climbed, we climbed a big peak, but it wasn't all that technical. Yeah. Um, it was technical enough that Claire was a little bit outside of, (laughs) but, um, but it wasn't all that technical, but anyways, we, we had like this amazing, uh, 10 day trip in the refuge. We also went to this, um, this summit that was put on by, um, by the Gwich'in, like the Gwich'in steering committee, which is a local tribe. And so the trip was just like magical and, and so informative in so many ways. And we learned so much and then we came back and we could talk about that stuff in DC. Um, and she, you know, when we're talking about the stuff in DC, I'm putting up a picture of a wolf that, you know, that we were like, two meters away from in the refuge and being like this ended this magnificent picture and we had this crazy experience like encountering this wolf and when you when you can talk about that stuff in dc i think it it makes it it makes it feel more real oh 100 yeah that's funny they mentioned the western 100 but uh, back to claire i've i actually just watched two movies about it in the past like a week so i know how intense you need to train for that race. It's a, it's a, yeah, a huge race, hundred miles, <laughs> um, over some gnarly terrain through California. But uh, yeah, this Anwar trip, I've heard you know heard a lot about. It. You posted a lot about it, and you travel the globe climbing. And this this trip wasn't necessarily about climbing. It you know it involved uh, natural resource extraction, wildlife, uh, indigenous rights, climate. I mean, it was very just well rounded, and what a profound ex- impact it seemed to have on you. So, thanks for sharing that experience. And when you shared your wolf experience when you're at Western, I mean, like I could I could feel it. Like it was palpable. That was an, that was an amazing story. Uh, running into that wolf, and I'll need you to send me a picture of that so I can post that up so you can see this image that you <laughs> took. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, definitely. Um, yeah, the trip was really cool and. Yeah, we, yeah, we took it back to DC and, um, yeah, talked to, you know, the next climb the hill event. And I, I, I did, I did a climb the hill event and then, and I did a pow lobby day, like the next week. Um, so I got to take meetings with different people and uh, different lawmakers in each of those trips. And, um, my major initiative was to, was to advocate for, for Anwar on that trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
I mean, the, so the medium you're using is storytelling. And that's a very impactful medium for people to connect people to these places that haven't been or they will never go to. One of the most impactful quotes that I've heard from someone was the director of my master's program. He said something like, I might get the exact numbers wrong, but like, so, you know, like 90% of scientists believe climate change is real, but only 50% of people agree. There's a storytelling gap there. And I was like, boom, like it hit me and I had like a sack of bricks. I'm like, that was really powerful. So you've been the subject of so many amazing stories, but now you flipped the script a little bit and now you're the storyteller. So what has been the reaction with these uh, lawmakers and policy folks in DC when you are, are able to share these stories? I mean, you never totally know how they're going to vote when you, when you leave, like, especially the ones that are kind of already thinking the other way. Like you come, you make an impression and you don't know really how it's going to turn out until they actually vote. Um, right. I think the ability to tell a succinct story with the, within the confines of the 30 minute meeting that you have is a skill <laughs> that I'm, that I'm, that I'm still learning. Um, but I think when you go back year after year, you develop relationships with these people and, um, and so they remember you. And so those, those stories make more and more of an impact the more you go back. But, but I think you're right. I mean, I think we as climbers, that's kind of our major strength is we experience like climbing is just such a great venue to experience incredible things and then therefore have great stories come out of those. And then there's this great culture of storytelling and great writing within climbing. And, um, so that, yeah, that gives us, gives us power. Like I didn't know that I was becoming a storyteller all my years of climbing. And then, you know, and then suddenly I'm like, well, I've written all these articles for magazines. I've sort of learned how to write. And then I wrote a book and I'm like, wow, I'm a, you know, suddenly I'm a storyteller just by being a climber. I became a storyteller without really Mm -hmm. meaning for that to happen. And, um, that yeah that's that's how you get things done that's how you change the world you become a good storyteller Mm -hmm. yeah i mean through the written word through the spoken word podcast videos i mean it's all yeah it's it's all very impactful my buddy and i were talking about bears ears one day and he's like man people don't the people who don't support this they just have not been here to see it they've got to know what this place looks like what it feels like what it smells like and i i think that is just that's happened a lot over the last few years that this fight's been not just few years but the fight that has been going around around bears ears has been communicated so well yeah and i think that having i mean both like the tribe tribal members like tribal leaders are incredible storytellers climbers Mm -hmm. are incredible storytellers you go to dc and you have that side of it you have the storyteller but you also have like the policy walk the person who can like cite all the numbers and the stats and that combination is is really powerful oh yeah 100 percent. yep you've gotten a lot more vocal with your social media and everything and i'm sure you've gotten the the cliche you know, comment, Tommy, just stick to climbing and these kind of, I would assume you've gotten that right. Something along those lines. Oh yeah. Like thousands of times. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So these kind of comments just drive me crazy. Like why? Like, yes, you most closely identify as a climber, but at the end of the day, you're, you're a human being, a human being that has the right to freely express your opinions and values. So why 
wouldn't you? And I think these kind of comments completely and utterly undermine the efficacy of your efforts. And you would be doing us all a great disservice if you didn't utilize your platform for the greater good. So how do you deal with that kind of pushback from people with differing values? I think the people that sort of attack me, whether it be on social media or in the media, I, in some ways I, I like invite that. Um, I think it, it teaches me things like sometimes they do actually have good things to say. I mean, a lot Mm -hmm. of times there's just like people out there that want to, that want to stir up controversy. Um, And I've even had like instances of what seems like paid trolls (laughs) that that, that, like, like come, you know, that like chime in on the social media feeds and you start to dig in. You're like, wow, there's all these like off the wall comments. It seems unbalanced. And you start to look at all accounts and turns out they're all private accounts. And you're like, wow, there's somebody out there who's actually like paying people to just like change the conversation to serve their own interests. And that kind of stuff is a little bit frustrating. But a lot of times you do get great conversation. and it makes me see both sides of it. Like I have a hard time finding ways to uh, absorb media that feels balanced to me. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes social media comment threads can help you do that. You can start to understand people that don't necessarily see the world the same way you do. And then you become, you know, I, I become more sympathetic to that. But I also have to have a little bit of a thick skin. Right. And I think being a slightly public person for a lot of years now has just has just given me that. Like I think I just I just realized that there's a certain percentage of people out there that I'm just not gonna agree with and that are gonna seem kind of crazy to me. And I, you know, I don't let that bother me too much. Well, yeah, I think that's what you just said is powerful, being able to open up a conversation. Uh, you almost invite some, uh, rebuttals, uh, from other people to have these conversations, to hear their side, you know, to, to li- you're, you're listening to understand, not listening to just reply and, and attack back. Right. Yeah. That's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and so to be able to use your platform and express what you value and communicate your message, um, you know, I think it takes some vulnerability, some confidence. Uh, so, and I think people, um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of it, but are holding themselves back from being vocal because they're afraid of being judged or attacked and stuff. So is there anything you would say to them that might be afraid of expressing their opinions and values? I mean, I think when you, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough, you understand that that is actually a great way to connect with people. And the, the good in that, you you realize after a while that the good in that outweighs the bad. Like if you're new in that realm, you see, you see one person attacking you and you're going to feel very hurt by that. But once you've had that happen a handful of times, you, you just like, you learn to, to see, to see the balance you use instead of, instead of being just focusing on that one attack, you're like, well, there's a lot of positive here and there's a lot of negative and there's a lot of learning happening and people are being inspired. Um, and the net effect is that that's good. So I, I guess my advice would be to try and just zoom out a little bit and try and see the whole picture rather than just focusing mm-hmm. on like the, you know, the few negative kind of crazy comments right, <laughs> that drive sure. you nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it's no matter how much good you think you're doing, there's going to be people going to be people out there that just don't like what you're doing or just simply disagree. And you just got to be able to accept that. Yeah. 
So what are you, uh, is there anything you're uh, listening to or reading these days to keep yourself up to speed on uh, what's going on or what the history of public lands might be? Um, on public land stuff, I, you know, I mean, I, I read, I, I read a great book recently. Um, oh, what was the name of that book? It was, it was called, um, man, I can't remember. It, it was about this idea. Of, it was like called freedom to roam. It had this big long subtitle, but it was about this idea, you know, kind of did this case study into all these places in the world where you, where you're allowed to just, you know, where private property is like way less regulated than it is here. Mm-hmm. And the ideals of that book uh, resonated with me a little bit because I live in you know a mountain town in Colorado and everybody who owns much land throws up you know trespassing signs everywhere <laughs> and it kind of yep. drives me nuts and and so you know there you know our country is is becoming more and more protective of you know private land and this whole idea of freedom to roam I felt like was uh, just kind of like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um, I'm also kind of digging back into some of Yvonne's writing. He, he, he recently put out a book about a year ago called uh, Some Stories, I think is what it's called. And it's just basically a compilation of stories and kind of like his thoughts on life and business. And I've always, always find his stuff um, really uh, inspirational. It's like a, it's a Patagonia books production, but it's essentially Yvonne's stories. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying that one quite a bit. I've also just been digging in on, you know, good literature. There's another compilation of stories that Krakauer put out recent John Krakauer put out recently that I've been reading. Cool. Um, and uh, Corey Rich's uh, uh, book called um, Yeah, Behind uh, the Images or Stories Behind the Image. Yeah, yeah. I've been really enjoying that, that, that one as well. So I don't know. I mean, I'm into all these books that are like compilations of stories maybe that's part of being a parent i, I don't i don't know if I, sometimes i don't have the focus to to read an entire book that's one storyline so i get one where mm-hmm. each each chapter is a story <laughs> oh per- well perfect i i just finished one last week called that wild country by mark kenyon uh-huh um and that's a compilation of stories it's it's an amazing book like i i I actually might. Have, I think I'm going to have him on the show in June. Um, he's a hunter and an angler. He's not a climber, but uh, he is well, very well versed in public lands and the structure of his book. He like tells a story about where he's gone, and then the next chapter is about like some history, public lands history related to where he had went. So, right. yeah, if you want a compilation of different trips, I highly recommend that book. It was actually on the Access Funds Advocate Reading List on their website. So. Okay. Definitely would recommend checking that one out if you want a good history of public lands back like before Teddy Roosevelt, like up to now. Um, right, it's, it's excellent. excellent. That wild country, okay. That wild country. Yeah, put that, put that one um, on the list. Love yeah. It. So, for any any current and future advocates out there, is there anywhere any direction you'd point them in to learn and get involved? Um, I mean, I think joining environmental and public lands related nonprofit organizations and volunteering is, is the best way. Um, you know, local ones is where I would start generally. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you want to do is you want to get yourself involved in a community of people that you have easy access to that perpetuates that kind of feeling and culture of activism. So that's what the local the local groups can do. Go out and do trail building days. And you know, the trail you're building is part of that. But really for me what it's about is like being involved with a community of people who are 
who care and want to do good work and know a lot about doing good work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think the, if you don't know those local groups, a good, a good resource for that is Patagonia's action work site. Yep. Um, all of their grantees are on that site. And so, you know, there's thousands of them. And so you can, you can type in your zip code and it tells you about all the environmental nonprofits that are in your area. And then you can just pick and choose which ones you want to get involved in. You can just donate money if you want, or you can, uh, you can get involved kind of however you want. Um, so that's a, that's a really good tool. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think there's, uh, yeah. And then, and then like, gathering information on websites like the access funds website um signing up for the newsletters like pick the things that you're that you're excited about and um yeah and protect our winners i mean the ones that so the ones that i'm really excited about right now are the access fund protect our winners and then and then and then all of like kind of patagonia's channels they also have mm-hmm. a patagonia has a has a publication called the journal that has tons of good information on all the stuff they're doing so read cool. the journal Right and on. then follow and then follow people like Claire Gallagher on Instagram. That's how so many people get their information these yeah. days. Find yeah. those environmental advocates that are that are really really passionate. Follow them on Instagram, and um, and that will lead you in the right directions. Perfect, awesome. Yeah, I think you made a good point. Is like you can. There's so many different areas that, that you need to. That you feel like you might need to learn about. Just like pick the couple that you are most resonate with you, and yeah, try to focus your attention on those so you don't overwhelm yourself. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think the. I don't know if you want to answer this for fun. Uh. Do you, have you seen any parallels between your efforts on the Dawn Wall or a, a major project and your advocacy efforts? Is there any? Do you see any parallels there? Certainly for <clears throat> climate change stuff. I mean, to me, I, I look at it as a very, very similar type of journey. Like the like solving climate change seems like this very unlikely, giant, looming, terrifying <laughs> <laughs> objective that you're like, wow, like the idea of getting involved in this and trying to work towards this goal uh, is on one hand, very, very daunting and kind of scary. But on the other hand, that's what we're all about. Climbers are all about scary, daunting things. And so it's exciting. And so it does. Yeah. It feels like that. It feels purposeful. It's easy to be passionate about. And, um, and I feel like there's this like incredible flywheel effect with, with any big daunting goal is that at, at first it seems so unlikely, but as you learn more and you, and you figure out more about it, that kind of that flywheel gets spinning faster and faster and you and the excitement level for potentially reaching that end goal just like accelerates over time and and becomes a, a sort of life energizing force oh man a life energizing force indeed thank you so much tommy and thank you so much everyone for tuning in to this episode I hope uh, you're able to take a lot away from what Tommy said. He provided us with a lot of little nuggets of information and encouragement. You know, I loved what he said. He said multiple times in this episode that it's been a learning experience for him. It's been an opportunity to learn more, and he's learned a lot over, over this time. So I think unpacking that a little bit, it will take some time, some patience, some initiative to learn and some confidence and vulnerability to 
get your message out there, the things that you believe in and you value. Cause a lot of my values are along, along the same lines as Tommy's. And I would think that a lot of yours are as well. So I encourage you to put yourself out there a little bit. I know I'm going to continue to work on that. I don't want to say don't be afraid because it can be kind of scary and you can be afraid to, to do that, but go for it. Listen to his advice. And I think we can keep pushing the needle in the right direction. So please share the episode far and wide. Uh, Tommy provided us with a lot of great resources that we can check out and get involved with, uh, with the Access Fund, Patagonia, POW, everything that he's got going on. So be sure to check those out and let your friends know about what you learned on this episode. And be sure to tune in at the end of the month for episode number 18. In the meantime, take care of yourself, be safe out there, and I'll catch you all next time.